1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash/host.
0: These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> We are super happy to say that volume 66 of the other stories is sponsored by the Scared to Death podcast. If you're looking for something scary, mysterious and interesting to distract and entertain you, check out the horror podcast Scared to Death. There's nearly 100 episodes of demonic possession, hauntings, shadow people, black eyed children, alien abductions and so much more. The podcast features horror lover Dan Cummins as he attempts to terrify his wife Lynns with two new supposedly true tales each week. Lynns then gets back at Dan with potentially scarier stories, sharing at least two listener-submitted encounters with the paranormal, often the most disturbing part of the show. So if you need more chills in your life, if you don't feel quite twitchy enough, it's time for Scared to Death new episodes drop every tuesday night the stroke before midnight pacific time and it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts and you can also watch the show on youtube once again that's the scared to death podcast also a quick note to say we are 25 percent through our stock of the hardcover pre-orders of the other stories best of collection features 30 of the show's best stories Grizzly horror mind-bending sci-fi thrilling gut rippers and a foreword by michael david wilson check out the amazing cover designed by pi par and get your order in today over at theotherstories.net forward slash best of once again that's theotherstories.net forward slash best of today's episode is suckle written by jonathan cosgrove and narrated by georgia cook
1: Maureen hadn't slept since her daughter Shelley died. A traffic collision, the policeman told her, as she wailed on the couch and Jerry, her husband, held her in trembling arms. A car moving too fast down the wrong road, and then Shelley. The policeman trailed off at this point, not knowing what the right word was, but Maureen could picture it all the same. Shelley astride her pale blue fixed-gear bicycle, her eyes suddenly widening as she turned her head, and then a sharp shunt as she was knocked 30 feet away, plastic bags of shopping ripping and scattering like a contrail in her wake. If she'd been in a car, she might have been alright, but she'd never gotten a license. Bad for the environment, she'd said, told her parents a car would only undermine her credibility on ecological-friendly practices with her secondary school students. It had been a Sunday... And Shelley wanted to read a book, that is about. But Maureen joked she might meet someone in the supermarket. Remember to make eye contact, Shelley, she'd said, and her daughter rolled her eyes. She wouldn't meet someone staring at the ground. It was the last thing she'd ever said to her daughter. All she wanted now was for Shelley to come back. She could laze around the house forever if she wanted. Maureen wondered if the neighbours had heard her that day calling foolishly out to her daughter. It was a small detail, but it tightened around Maureen's brain like the white plastic they'd found gripped over Shelley's fingers. It was instantaneous, the policeman said, saying this as if it were a comfort, as if Shelley were a persistent stain, and death by car was just the trick. But Maureen didn't believe in the instantaneous fantasy emergency workers like to peddle. She imagined the microseconds where her daughter first saw the car, followed by the understanding of what was about to happen, had stretched on inconceivably. That everything inside of Shelley turned to a syrupy, oozing bewilderment. That this laneway, a mile from her house, would be the last place she'd ever see. That she'd never moved to Bordeaux for that long summer like she'd planned. That she'd never meet someone she could cuddle up with on the couch on Friday night. That life would go on without her. This vision of Shelley's last moments wormed through Maureen's head. It kept her awake. Other than seeing her daughter again, Maureen wanted to sleep. Staring at Shelley's pictures, her eyesight would warp and distort, making the image of Shelley dance alive and then marine would catch herself as her head jolted forwards. But when she got into bed, she became alert again, restless, her mind filled with visions. Jerry, Maureen's husband of thirty years, didn't say much at the best of times, but with the passing of his little girl, he'd become practically catatonic. When he wasn't busying himself with odd jobs around the house, he was asleep. He slept everywhere now, and very rarely in bed. To find him was simple enough, though. Maureen would just listen for the snores like an engine failing to start, and there he'd be. Standing over him, asleep in the shed, Maureen listened to Jerry say their daughter's name. Softly sometimes, and at others in a rising intonation that signalled approaching danger. She alternated between envy and anger. Envy at Jerry's easy ability to sleep. Anger that when he did, he dreamt of their little girl. That he could visit her when all Maureen saw were the four walls of their little house. She wanted to know if he dreamt of her as a child, with chocolate-stained fingers and short denim jungarees. But she didn't ask. Her fear was that he saw Shelley the same way Maureen did whenever she closed her eyes, broken and vacant on a scrubbed coroner's table. As many expected, the two drifted apart, but not in the expected ways. After 30 years together, there were few places to go. Separately, they both found the idea of an affair silly, filled with hassle. Neither were ever what you'd call big drinkers, so alcoholism was out of the question. And Maureen was well past having another baby, which had been her sister Breej's first suggestion. Adoption is very popular right now, you know, she'd said, as if her finger were firmly on the pulse of the culture. Surrogacy too? Maureen's sister Breej wasn't much of an addition to anyone's life, but she could be counted upon to listen. She enjoyed the camaraderie of complaints, She'd flown in from Arnhem for the funeral, but left the same day. Truthfully, she'd never cared for Shelley, and likewise Shelley didn't think much of her aunt. Still, she called Maureen a few nights a week now to listen and give advice, such as it was. "'Maybe I should spruce up the place,' Jerry said one bright morning, as he stood washing paintbrushes in the sink. He turned to Maureen who squinted at him through sore, red-rimmed eyes. That might spark things up, right? Maureen stirred her peppermint tea. She didn't know what Jerry wanted to spark, but he would better not do it anywhere near her, she thought. She flipped through a mental Rolodex for what to do when men got like this. It came up blank, she'd asked Breach later. Taking the spoon from her tea and placing it neatly on the kitchen table... She managed. Sounds nice, Jer. He smiled, encouraged by this response. Marine hoped this would be the last she'd hear of it. She found it so hard to focus on words anymore. When Shelley had been alive, she did someone to talk to every day. But now she felt as though her jaw had jammed up. She relied more and more on instinctual physicality. She looked up and found she was alone, and the sun had gone down. Managed any sleep yet? Breej asked one Sunday. It was her one constant question in the four months she'd been calling. Maureen didn't respond right away. She was in the kitchen waiting for the kettle to boil. She adjusted a blanket around her shivering frame. Outside, the trees were drenched in golden sunlight, and the stones in the garden were hot underfoot. But Maureen might as well have been on a frozen wasteland. Her body temperature was all over the place. Only the night before, lying in bed, she'd felt as though she was trying to sleep in a sauna. Thick, gluey sweat gushed from every fold of her body, soaking into the mattress. But Maureen was so exhausted she couldn't move. Couldn't even stand to go get a glass of water. She lay there alone all night, her eyelids scratchy and sore, aching for rest. Though she couldn't hear him now, she was sure Jerry was asleep somewhere. It felt like days since she'd seen him. "'Few hours,' said Maureen, as the kettle whistled. Her sister sighed, just as Maureen heard a soft thump overhead, followed by what sounded like a whine. "'You know, I don't like saying this,' Bridge said." but you've been sounding worse lately. Breach. Marine wedged the phone between her neck and shoulder. Maureen poured water into a rubber bottle and eyed the ceiling. Jerry's asleep in the attic again. Talk next week. Maureen, Breach said sharply. He needs to see someone. You too. I'm serious. But Maureen had hung up. She tucked the water bottle between the belt of her robe and grunted out her husband's name. She didn't mind where Jerry slept, but the attic was dusty and she worried about his lungs. Their house was a bungalow, but they'd fitted easy-access stairs into the ceiling years ago. It seemed essential, before one of them fell off a ladder getting Xmas decorations. A thin cord hung from the ceiling, and Maureen could just snatch it if she stood on tippy-toes. Jerry must have closed it behind him, wanting privacy, perhaps. Well, he could sleep on the couch. She pulled the cord and the ceiling bowed to marine with a mechanical lightness. Reaching up, her hot water bottle came loose from its position and fell to the floor. She stooped to pick it up, and the mechanism carried the door the rest of the way. Water bottle repositioned. Marine unfolded the last part of the stairs with a click and onto the ground. She put her hand on a rung and looked up. Something looked at her from the attic. It was small and gray and looked covered in fur. Christ almighty, Marine said, and stumbled back into a kitchen laden with family pictures. Some of them thudded to the carpeted floor, as Marine lost her legs and collapsed with a thump onto her backside. She winced, half expecting something to break, half waiting to be attacked from the attic. Nothing happened. Looking up, the attic entrance was empty now. Jerry? Maureen called out. Is that you? She staggered to her feet, feeling weak and not far off drunk. In a half-crouch, she peered up the stairs, ready to run if something moved. "'If this is a joke,' she said. Maybe this was his way of bringing them back together. But that face, it hadn't been Jerry's, had it? It was something else. A cat, maybe? But not a cat, because its eyes were different.' They'd looked at her, really looked at her, recognizing her. And she'd known them too, hadn't she? Maureen put her hand to the stairs and began to climb. The light bulb was missing, and it took some moments for her eyes to adjust. She felt the room spinning and closed her eyes, hoping she wouldn't fall back down the stairs. She opened her eyes again, and the room seemed somewhat clearer. Something nearby was trembling, shivering. She could feel it. Whatever it was, she'd scared it. Hey, Maureen cooed and licked her dry lips. It's okay. No harm done. Come on out. She could smell it before she saw it. Stale shit and mold. She turned a corner and there it was, backed up against a corner wall. It was small, grey-white Maureen crouched down and the smell became stronger she put a hand to her nose getting used to the smell well hello there sweet pea she finally managed Maureen thought the thing made a sound in response a gurgle or a hiss she chuckled it was frightened, the poor thing poor little melon she reached out and gently caressed what she thought its cheek might have been. The fur quivered, and insects skittered from her touch. Little melon, she said again. The name seemed to fit. She smiled, and the thing on the attic floor began to relax. It showed her its teeth. The front door closed with a snap, and Marina awoke, lying on the couch. She'd been having the most pleasant dream. Shelley had come back to her, a child with chocolate stains on everything, the way she used to be. Marine, Jerry's voice called out, sounding uncertain, and Maureen knew he was probably looking at the open attic door she'd forgotten to close. In here, she called out, as gently as possible. The small thing beside her stirred slightly but didn't look up from where it suckled. Marine could see its milky white skin rise and fall calmly. She heard a mechanical snap as the stairs were folded back in place, and then Jerry stood framed in the doorway. "'Were you sleeping?' he said in a stage whisper. She made a sound that might have been yes or no. He waited a moment before gesturing with plastic bags and continued in a hushed voice got some traps and another bowl for the attic he said. You weren't up there were you? Think we might have mice or something He went quiet and Maureen could see peripherally that Jerry had noticed the dirt on the living room floor. There was a lot of it. He sniffed and made a disgusted sound It was the stale shit smell coming off little melon. She knew Maureen's dressing gown was ruined with it not to mention the mess it made while feeding. But it was nothing a long soak wouldn't sort out the robe would probably go in the bin. Some primeval sense must have stirred in Jerry's mind because he moved slowly towards her, trying not to spook her. He reached for Maureen's shoulder, saying her name softly. She turned and smiled up at her husband, whose eyes were already widening. Jerry. She raised her eyebrows towards the thing, now releasing its blooded suckers from her body, as if Jerry couldn't already see it. As if he wasn't already running. Look who's come back. The mousetrap spilled from the forgotten shopping bags, and Maureen wondered if the neighbours could hear, just as she heard little Melon catch Jerry by the front door.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Suckle was written by Jonathan Cosgrove, narrated by Georgia Cook, edited by Duncan Muggleton, with music by Mayu and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by Free Sound, Dot org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. Jonathan Cosgrove is an Irish writer of dark fiction. His short fiction has appeared in the Arterial Bloom anthology from Crystal Lake Publishing and Daily Science Fiction. You can find out more about him at jonathancosgrove.com or say hello on Twitter at at jingo underscore gaijin, spelled G-A-I-J-I-N. And you can follow Georgia Cook on Twitter at at georgiacooked. Again, hardcover pre orders of our new book are now live. The Other Stories Best Of collection features 30 of the show's best stories grisly horror, mind bending sci fi, thrilling gut rippers, and a foreword by modern horror extra orphan Michael David Wilson. You can go check out the amazing cover, as I've mentioned previously, the amazing brain melting cover by Pi Par. So put down some towels and go check it out at theotherstories.net forward slash bestof and get your order in today. Uh, 25% of the stock is gone already and it is a limited edition hardcover so get them in now The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no Derivatives licence that means don't change it, don't sell it but by all means, share the hell out of it
1: so, until next time